This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, so let's get to work tonight and take your Bibles to turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. And I will tell you that when I study this to put together these studies for you on Wednesday night, in my own personal study, I, it's almost like taking a magnifying glass and going over a word, a sentence, a phrase, the verse, because I'm trying to pick every important element of every verse that I possibly can. And I realize this, and, and it's the same way when I put together a sermon for Sunday morning that I could preach on a topic, I could preach on a verse, and I could study it from my perspective to be absolutely from the front to the back, north, south, east, and west. And I'm convinced of this, that I can go back a year or two later and preach that same verse or a, the same message, and God will show me something completely different that I did not pick up on in the earlier study. It's amazing how that happens because when, especially in a, in a subject like this, you I want to get every possible angle of light on it that I can. And I, I'm convinced that no matter how many times I preach it, teach it, study it, it's, it's the word always presents itself full of life. It will never return void. And uh, it's, so it's amazing. And I pray that as we study this together, you're getting some information, you're getting some study, uh, perhaps that you've not thought about before. No matter how many times you've read it, I, I, my prayer is that something along the way you'll glean uh, in a new perspective. All right, but I want to pick up tonight with verse number nine. We were in the midst of it last week, and we did not get to finish it all. And uh, I want to uh, continue with the list of martyrs that uh, we were talking about in the scriptures. And I was giving you the martyrdom of uh, many of the great people in the scriptures. And I want to pick up again with that tonight and complete the list that I have. Surely it's not the entire composite, but I want you to have um, a syllabus of it anyway. You get the idea. So let's look in verse number nine again. Revelation chapter one and verse number nine. I want to reiterate that in verse number nine, you see how John begins this particular passage. He says, I, John... Five times in Revelation, he emphasizes that it is him who is doing the writing. And so this is one of those particular passages. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage, I want to reemphasize, because Revelation is a lot about 
the tribulation period, which will happen immediately after the rapture. The word tribulation, and I mentioned this last Wednesday night, I want to reiterate it just briefly, momentarily. The tribulation that you see here in verse number nine has nothing to do. This is not in reference to Jacob's trouble, the, the seven years of tribulation. This is talking about the personal difficulties, the heartache, the persecution that John experienced, and he explains why for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This was written in AD 96. John has been placed on the secluded island of Patmos exactly for what he says for preaching the word. Now, he was not the only one. You see this word tribulation associated with him. He is not the only one that experienced tribulation for the ministry, for the preaching of the word. And I was in the midst last week of giving you the names of the martyrs and how they died. Again, not all of them. I don't have time to do that. But uh, I want to pick up uh, with Thomas. And I don't, I don't exactly recall where I left off. I think it was with Bartholomew, uh, who was, in my opinion, I shared this with you last week, who experienced what I believe to be the most horrific of the martyrs. And uh, he... Uh, was filleted alive. We, we can't even imagine that. So let me continue on tonight uh, going to Thomas. Thomas was speared to death, pierced with lances. Uh, and uh, to, to complicate the issue with him, uh, they threw him into an exceedingly hot oven after they pierced him. It's sort of like do uh, you remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image? And uh, as a result of that, they were cast into the, to the fire. <clears throat> and uh, it was heated many times over than its ability to sustain heat, really. Uh, but this is some similar somewhat uh, that happened to Thomas. Luke was hanged. And Simon the Zealot, I mentioned to you last Wednesday night that there were several Simons in the scripture. Simon was the Zealot. He was a rambunctious type of an individual. He, he did not skirt from trouble. He did not run from trouble. In fact, he tried his best to create as much trouble and problems for the Roman government as he possibly could. And uh, he went out of his way to do that. But uh, Simon the Zealot uh, in his uh, final hours was actually sawed in half. A very brutal death. Now, John, as we know it, out of all of the apostles and the people that were in the close inner circle of Jesus, he is the one that was given uh, a very natural death. John, the best as we know, uh, and in uh, biblical antiquity, he is the one that uh, died of what is presumed to have been natural causes. What happened to John? You know, he was on Patmos. He was left there to die. And history, 
and I emphasize that, uh, history records that, uh, that the person that actually put John on the Isle of Patmos was a very wicked man. His name was Domitian. I, I explained all of that to you in the beginning of this incredible story in the study of Revelation. And uh, the way that scholars teach us is that when Domitian died, in fact, John was put on Patmos for life. Domitian's goal would be that if John wanted to preach, he would have to preach to the trees and to the, to the water, to the birds. He would never be able to speak to people anymore. And so he was placed in isolation on this small secluded island called Patmos. But historians tell us and teach us that when Domitian died, there was a group of people that desired to move him. He was always the talk of the town, but to move him from Patmos back to Ephesus. And uh, it was said in the spectacle of all of this that he was forced to drink poison, which he did not die. Now, do you remember there was a sign, a wonder given to uh, the early disciples and apostles, uh, and uh, the scripture teaches us that uh, in those signs and wonders, people would would drink poison and they wouldn't die, and uh, the serpent's bite would not kill them. In fact, that particular scripture has been taken so grossly, all of them really, because never in God's word are we tempted to tempt God. What? These there are people in society today that are in places of uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, Mississippi, and these kind of places. I I don't know of really any around uh, here, but I know of people that handle snakes in their church. You've heard of these snake handling churches. And the idea of this is that uh, they take that scripture. It's just one of men, many illustrations that I could give you tonight, uh, how people tempt, I believe, God or, or try to provoke God, but actually take scriptures out of context to prove uh, heresy or false doctrine. And the idea is they get this verse out of the scripture and they bring in the box of snakes, rattlesnakes predominantly, and they have the big service in front of everybody and they're dancing and looking the snake in the eye. And, and there have been people in recent modern times that have actually been bitten and died. Uh, and because these people, when they are bit, they refuse medical treatment because their whole philosophy is that the God will spare them and their faith will heal them or save them from the serpent's bite. And so John, when he was moved off of Patmos into Ephesus as a spectacle, they tried to force him to drink poison. And as it was uh, said that John, when he, when he was forced to drink this poison, he didn't die. And so being concluded that he did not die on Patmos. He was 
delivered from Patmos. He was brought back to Ephesus, forced to drink this poison, and he didn't die. And it was concluded at that point that everybody was just going to leave him alone. And he, historians tell us that he just died a very quiet death. Um, and so I found that interesting in my study. John the Baptist, you know very well, was beheaded. Now, there's an unusual fellow that most everybody in here, no matter how many times you've read the word, you've never picked up on him. Because in my personal study, I've only found him in this one instance. And I'm going to ask them to get the scripture on the screen for you. And it's found in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 13. It, it is um, uh, an unusual name. And again, I'm only aware of this one instance where the scripture mentions him. And uh, in Revelation 2.13, the scripture says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where Antipas, do you see that? Uh, to my knowledge, this is the only uh, recorded emphasis of this man, and we don't know much about him, but the scriptures declare that in those days Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. And so Antipas uh, suffered a martyr's death, and we're not told exactly how, but we can only conclude based upon the others that had suffered horrific martyrdom that this man was not uh, an exception to the rule. And so uh, I find that, and I thought it would be interesting to pass this uh, on to you because, again, no doubt how many times you've read the word, you've not really focused on the, the name of this individual. But I find this interesting as well when I study this, that this man uh, was so much in the heart of God that even though we don't know really anything about him, he was worthy enough to be considered faithful, but also to be included in the pages of Scripture. There's no doubt in my mind that he was a man of humility, can you imagine if he had any pride in his heart? Well, I don't know why well, my name is only mentioned one time in the Bible. And some of these other guys are mentioned over and over again. See, his heart was pure. He loved God with all, every fiber of his soul. And the Holy Spirit found it very appropriate to mention his name and to tell us that he was a faithful martyr. He was martyred, slain, the scripture says, among you for the preaching of the word. Now, there was another man whom John knew very well, and we don't know much about him either. His name was Polycarp. Maybe you have heard about him in your study of Scripture. Polycarp was a very interesting individual because he was a pastor in Smyrna, and uh, this is, in fact, I believe with all of my heart in my study of Polycarp and his relationship with John that he was a disciple of John. John, in other words, John, I believe, won him to the Lord. 
He suffered a very horrible death as well. Polycarp was burned at the stake. He was stabbed and he was burned at the stake for the gospel. Now, another individual here, and again, this is in biblical antiquities, in the, uh, in the list of martyrdoms, and you can find this in your Fox's Books of Martyrs if you have that as a great resource. But Ignatus, and uh, I will spell his name for you. You can look him up or reference him at another point, I-G-N-A-T-I-U-S. He was a pastor in the church of Antioch. And again, he also suffered uh, a very horrible, horrific death. He was torn apart by wild animals. Some of you have had the privilege to go to the Holy Land with me, and we have stood in the amphitheaters where many of these martyrs were, in fact, tortured for Christ. They were uh, martyred for the cause of Christ. We've seen these amphitheaters where many of the great men of God actually experience this kind of death. But let me speed this up a little bit, fast forward it to some more modern times. Some of you <clears throat> probably have heard of a man called John Wycliffe. And John Wycliffe, he was involved in, in the early days of the Reformation. Uh, you have heard mention of, of uh, Martin Luther. Uh, who was also involved in the Reformation. Now, John Wycliffe, he, he experienced a very horrible death, we're told, but it was almost a desecration of what they did to John Wycliffe. Because after they had killed him, martyred him, and buried him, the people were so hostile against his efforts of uh, translating scriptures that they actually dug his body out of the grave and set it on fire. Now you think about the, the hatred that people had for him. And then let me give you the name John Huss. This was actually his date of death is... is literally recorded July the 6th in 1415. And uh, he was martyred in a very barbaric way. Some of you may have heard William Tyndale. You've heard of him, William Tyndale. He was choked to death while he was tied to a stake. But then let me fast forward this much, much further for you and talk about Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot in January of 1956, was leading a missionary uh, excursion to some distant tribal uh, people that had never heard the gospel. And unfortunately, not too long after Jim Elliott and his band of missionaries landed on this island, uh, they were martyred almost immediately. So I say all of that and give you the names of these people because when we go to John uh, here and he's saying, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, we think about the people who have given their life, not time, 
Obviously, time was incorporated. But we're not talking about people who just sacrificed some time. We're talking about people who gave their life for the gospel. And the interesting thing about all of that is this. I do believe because there were some people going all the way back to the days of the early church in the New Testament. There were some people that gave their life so sacrificially who crossed the oceans, who experienced British tortures and persecution, who somehow got the gospel to America and how it transcended down to modern times. I do believe that you and I are recipients of the gospel because there were people, many people before us going all the way back to the early days of the early church in Jerusalem who were willing to give their life to pass the gospel onto us. And when I think about that, it gives me chills. I'm moved with gratitude and appreciation for what the faithfulness of God's people has done. All right, so there's a whole lot to see in verse number nine. So verse number 10 becomes very interesting as well. John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, this thing about what John is saying, I was in the spirit. I mean, there was no tambourine beating. And, and there was no music playing, and he he wasn't worked up in some kind of frenzy. When this when he says, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day," I, I want you to to see this. He was not only in the prison of Patmos, but he was also in the spirit without question he was he was not only witnessing this revelation of Jesus Christ that was being heralded his way and god chose him to be the recipient of all of these things past present and future but here's the thing he is not only witnessing these things, he, he has no abilities whatsoever to put this puzzle together. He, he doesn't know anything about what God is showing him. So the thing that I want you to get out of this part of it is that he was not only witnessing it, because we're going to see now he was caught up in the spirit, and there's a lot to see in that element. We'll talk about it here in just a few moments. But... Again, he was not only witnessing, but there's no doubt in my mind that he was worshiping. And that's, that's a game changer as far as I'm concerned. When we really begin to worship and to lift him up. Now, can, can you imagine how depressing it would have been for John if he was on Patmos if he was in this prison of Patmos without the Holy Spirit. I mean, when I thought about that in my study, 
And I jotted this down in my own personal notes. The people of this world, and yet there are some professing believers, and there's a big difference in being a professing Christian and a possessing Christian. I'm telling you this, that when you are a possessing Christian, your life radically changes. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. But I got to thinking about this, and I wrote it down in the margin of my notes, and that is this, the people of the world have no idea how happy they could be if they knew the Lord. If they really knew him, Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. You think about this. The scriptures teaches us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Yes, pleasures of the world. You can, you can have momentarily good, happy, fun, enjoyable, relaxing times. But we have to remember that life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And so think about this. If John was on Patmos without knowing the Lord, if he was on Patmos without the fullness of the Spirit, but when I read this and I study it, the Holy Spirit was moving John in a great way and giving him a panoramic picture of this whole thing. And there are several opinions about exactly what Here, the Lord's day is in reference to, but in my own personal study, I'm just going to call it like it is and like I see it and like I've known it and like I study it. And my personal study leads me to believe that the Lord's day is the Lord's day and the Lord's day is Sunday. There are people, millions of people all throughout our community who believe the Lord's day is their day. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised of the people that have told me in these last almost 40 years here. And when I've seen them in public and out in different places, and I've expressed to them how much we as a family here at Buford Road miss them, you'd be surprised how many people have said this. Well, I know, but Sunday is my only day. To rest. Sunday is my only day to sleep. Sunday is my only day to do things with the family. But I will tell you, friend, Sunday is not our day. It's the Lord's day. And so that's what the scripture says here. I was John saying, I was on this, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then notice what he says. And I heard behind me. Now, I found this to be interesting because he said, I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, this is where I, I took my, my imaginary magnifying glass and I held it over the scripture and I began to study it and look at it and read it and, and try my best to discern it. And the, the one word that stuck out to me when I was going through this past, and again, I, 
Next, next May, I could come back to this text and preach it again or teach it again, and maybe God will show me something altogether different. But in this particular prep for this study, this go-around, I looked, and the word that stuck out to me was this, trumpet. Now, that might be, on the surface, a very insignificant word. But this is what I, and I'm only, I only have time to give you three references tonight. But I find it very interesting that over and over in the scriptures, this was a means, a mechanism, an instrument, a vehicle that God chose to use repetitiously. A trumpet. Now again, but it's 7.53. I've got to be very brief with this, and I knew that I would run out of time, and I don't want to bog down here, but I do want to give you three incredible references of what I'm talking about, examples of illustration that coordinate this together. There's a passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 16, and I want you Fellas, thank you for getting that up there. And by the way, this coming Sunday, I'm going to begin a brand new series. It's entitled Go With God. And I'm going to do an in-depth study preaching sermon series on the book of Exodus. It will bless your heart. I've got chills now even telling you about it. But I have been so engulfed in these sermon preparations, I can hardly stand it or hardly wait to be able to share it with you. Incredible truths. I give God the praise. But here in Exodus chapter 19, verse number 16, let me show you what I'm talking about. And, it, and this is, I only have three illustrations for you tonight. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. This is talking about Mount Sinai. And the voice of the trumpet do you see this? Exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now, this is associated with the voice of God speaking to the people. And in this particular case, God chose once again to give us this vehicle, this, this mechanism, this instrument of illustration that it was the voice of a trumpet. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, Paul gives us reference, and this is pertaining to the rapture. When the rapture takes place, according to the apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, when this takes place, the Bible says this again. Now, this is directly associated with the Lord. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. I want to give you one more, and I've got to fast forward this, but another scripture in reference to the rapture and we will see this in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, And after this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. This is talking about the rapture. And the first voice which I heard was as if it were a trumpet talking with me. 
which said, now again, I've taught you many times that the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but neither is the word Bible found in the Bible. But we believe in the Bible, amen? This right here, come up hither is the rapture. This is the vacuum, the the uh, evacuation. Come up hither, this is the rapture. And I will show thee things which thou must uh, which must be hereafter. So, again, John is on Patmos and he's saying, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. This is a, a typical pattern of God in the way that he has chosen to communicate and he has given us this instrument uh, to um, illustrate what he's talking about. Now, notice again here, he said this, he heard, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me. This is, this is that spiritual magnifying glass now going again. It's like, like sweeping a mind sweep. I mean, it's just going through this text and looking at it very carefully. He was hearing the voice of the Lord and he was instructed to do something with this message that was coming to him. So that takes us to verse number 11. You have to remember now, this is a panoramic view. The voice of God through the Lord Jesus is thundering with John behind him, and he is now startled. His heart is beating almost, I can imagine, out of his chest. All of these things that he doesn't understand, and he gets this loud, loud thundering sound the voice coming to him as if it were a loud trumpet blowing in his ear. And he gets a message and the Holy Spirit says, now this is what I want you to do with the message. Now I want to pause and think about this just for a minute. You know, a lot of time, and this comes back to this. A lot of people just want to be hearers of the word and not doers of the word. Suppose John, when he got all of this declaration, suppose, just suppose, he considered himself to be on an excursion or a holiday on a vacation. And what if he just stepped back and said, man, this is cool. Wow. Awesome. Think about that. It's not what happened. God began to speak in a thundering way. And he said, John, I'm going to show you something. Listen to me. And I want you to take this message, I want this message to get out to the churches. So look at verse number 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Now, I taught you last week that in the Greek alphabet, the Alpha is the beginning, the Omega is the end. It's from A to Z, the first and the last. And look, God is saying through Jesus, what thou seest, now think about it. How could he put these things into mortal words? But God is saying, what you see, I want you to write in a book and send it. Look at this. Now this is one of the reasons why I believe with all of my heart that John got off of Patmos. This is why I believe that his, his writings was not buried under a rock or put inside the bark of a tree. Because you see, God gave him a mission. 
He said, I want you to take what you've seen and send it to the church. In order for John to do that, he had to be off of Patmos. And so the scripture says, send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, unto Sardius, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So I have just brief moments to get into verse number 12 tonight. So John is getting all of this instruction. He's getting the whole light show, so to speak. He's getting the voice. He's, get, he's getting the thunderings, the lightnings that's happening all around him. And in verse 12, and I, John, he said, I turn to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, in my opening introduction to Revelation, I taught you from the very beginning of our study that Revelation was a book of symbols and signs. And this, I was telling Brother David early on tonight, that this, this entire journey is, is so overwhelming to me personally because I, I want to get it right. And, and I have to baptize myself into this magnifying glass and scanning it as if I were using a, a minesweeper, going over every word, every thought, every illustration. And so when John says, I turned to see the voice, he saw the golden candlesticks. I need to stop here with this thought tonight. This or these candlesticks that he saw represented the seven churches. You get this now. It represented the seven churches. And by the way, here we go again, as we did in the beginning, the introduction about the numbers. Remember, we talked about numbers one through seven. And here we go again, where God is going to greatly highlight and emphasize and make a big deal out of the number seven. He uses it repetitiously. And he does again here. And so the word teaches us that, um, well, this is a good place to stop. It's 8.03. I, don't, I can't take it any farther. Otherwise, we'll be at 8.45. Can't do that tonight. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.